Journey into space. The BBC presents Jet Morgan in The World in Peril. After helping to prove that the spherical spaceships which landed on Earth carried crews of conditioned Earthmen, Jet Morgan and the crew of the Discovery are ordered back to Mars to seek out, if they can, further information on the expected major invasion. In the early hours of the morning, a car calls at their hotel and, with curtain drawn, conveys them rapidly out of London towards an airport from which they will catch a super stratocruiser to a launching ground in Australia. But when, some 30 miles out of London, Lemmy drew back the curtains and spoke to the driver of the vehicle, it was realized that he was no ordinary person. Here, now turn it up. You can't get away from me, you know. I'm in this car with you. Man, six, what's he doing, trying to kill us? Hey, slow down there in front of you here. Slow down. Now, a fat lot of nerds he's taken of that. Hey! Uh, keep your seat, Mitch. Wait a minute. Don't, Lemmy, what are you trying to do? Climbing into yeah. the front seat. Let me be uh, careful. Don't worry, Mitch, boy. I'll handle this. Now, you, wait, slow down. You here? Are you going to? Who do I have to slow this thing down for you? Let me be careful. Oh, oh, blimey. His hands. They're as cold as ice. Leave me alone. Here. What are you looking at me like that for? Oh, no, you don't. I'm wise to your little game. Take your hands off that key. Stop him for Pete's sake. Ah, slow down. You hear? Slow down. Let me. Watch out. Look out in front. Look out. We're going to turn over. Uh, anybody hurt? Oh, I'm okay. I've hurt my arm. How about you, Lemmy? Lemmy. He must have been knocked out, Jen. Let's hope that's all it is. How about the driver? Stay where you are, Doc. And you, Mitch. I'll try to open one of the doors so we can climb out. No, oh, oh, Sorry, Mitch. Can you reach it, Jet? Yeah, I think so. He... Ah, that did it. Oh, thank goodness for that. You all right, Mitch? Just for a bit? Yeah, Jet. Very well, Doc. We'll get the other two out. Uh, driver first, Jet. He's laying on top of Lemmy there. Can you take his arms? Yes, I've got them now. Lift it. Where should we put him? I'll lay him here on the bank. Right. Oh, now let's get Lemmy out. Hold on a minute, Jet. His legs are curled up all under him. Let's not lift him until I'm sure nothing's broken. Oh, well. How about you, Mitch? I got a nasty pain in my arm, but okay otherwise. Mm, Lemmy seems to be okay, Jet. Take his head, will you? All right. You ready? Yep. Now, take it easy. Uh -huh. You've got plenty of time. All right. Jet, for Pete's sake. The driver, he's got up. He's running away. What? Take it easy, Jet. Stay put for a minute. Let me get out. Where are you going, Mitch? Well, after that zombie, of course. Where do you think I'm going? All right, Doc. Come on. Let's get Lemmy out, for goodness sake. Put him down, Jet. Here on the grass. Well, you stay with him, Doc. I'll be back later. Yeah. Mitch! Mitch, where are you? Mitch! Mitch! Down here, Jet. Be careful. It's a long way and it's deep. Have you found him? No, but he's down here somewhere. Mitch, are you there? Here, Jet. Oh! So dark, I can hardly see a thing. Yeah, I'll be lucky to find him now. Well, where are we, do you know? I haven't the slightest idea, but... Well, wherever we are, the country's very hilly. We've come a long way down. Well, let's keep looking. It can't be far away. Ah, it's hopeless, Jet. 
If it were a clear night, we might stand a chance, but he could be within ten yards of us and we wouldn't know it. Hey, listen. That's a familiar noise. Where's it coming from? Over to the right. Come on. Hold it, Jim. Look out! You all right, Jim? Yeah, yes, Mitch. Well, that settles it. We'll never catch him now. Yeah, that ship was waiting for him. Uh, probably waiting for us, too. How do you mean? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? That driver intended to kidnap us, bring us here to that ship. Yeah, but how? How could one man hope to persuade four of us to enter it? By the usual method. In fact, just before the car turned over, the hypnotizing process had begun. That's why we heard the noise. You mean he was expected to hypnotize the four of us? Well, not necessarily. That might have been done by somebody in the ship. It could well have been following the car just above our heads. We wouldn't have seen it. Yeah, I suppose it might. And then when the driver escaped, it touched down here to pick him up. Exactly. Uh, he probably wasn't knocked out at all. Just lying doggo until he saw a chance to make a run for it. How did he know we were expecting a car to pick us up? And where did he get that car from? It's the exact model Space HQ personnel use. Yeah, I don't suppose it's too difficult to get the car, but how did he know the controller wouldn't be coming with us? That was a last-minute decision. Yes, and how much else did he know? Did he know we were going to Australia en route for the moon and from there to Mars? If he did, then our trip back there could well be a darn sight more perilous than the last one. Come on, Mitch. Let's go back to Doc and Lemmy. Once we get up on the road, maybe we'll find out exactly where we are. Perhaps a phone box, too. Wherever we are, I bet it's nowhere near the airport. controller speaking. Who? Then put him on immediately. Hello? Hello, Jet. Have you had me worried? Where are you? Near Hindhead. What on earth are you doing down there? What? Well, never mind the explanations now. I'll come down and pick you up myself. Hmm? Oh. Yes, that's a point. Well, listen. Keep out of sight and walk along the road in the direction of London for a couple of miles. When I turn up, I'll have three headlights blazing and one of them will be flashing. Is that clear? As soon as you recognize the car, step out into the road so that I can recognize you. Good. See you later, then. Sir? Get a car ready immediately. I'll be leaving in five minutes. Yes, sir. Will you want a chauffeur? No, I'll be driving myself. Very good, sir. That's all. Yes, sir. Supervisor, please. Hello, Jenkins. I found them. No, I'm going to pick them up right away. Now, have a breakdown squad go along to the Portsmouth Road as far as the Devil's Punch Bowl to recover a wrecked car. It's lying on its side in the ditch at the edge of the road. Meanwhile, bring the police and have them put a guard round the wreck. I want no one to go anywhere near it before the breakdown squad get there. Is that clear? Well, thank goodness you're all in one piece. The car had slowed down considerably before it turned over. If it hadn't, we might not have got ourselves so lightly. Are you quite all right now, Lemmy? Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Oh, I must have cracked me head on the instrument panel. I was out for fully five minutes or so, the doc says. And your arm, Mitch? Ah, uh, just a bad bruise, that's all. Nothing to worry about. Well, that's something. But we have plenty of other worries. So one headache is not enough? Why did you leave the hotel without me? But you rang up to say you'd meet us at the airport. And the transport was already on its way. Yeah, it arrived not five minutes afterwards. I didn't call anybody. Fact is, I called for you half an hour after you'd left. What? 
Then who did ring us? That's what I'd like to know. But I thought it was impossible for anybody to telephone us except through the exchange at Space HQ. And even then it was necessary to know the code number of the line. Well, somebody knew it. They also knew you were about to pick us up. And at what time? How else could that Whitaker driver have timed his call on us so nicely? Do you think they knew of our intention to go back to Mars? Probably. On the other hand, they may have merely wanted to get you out of the way. You're the only people on this Earth with first-hand knowledge of the way the Martians behave. You're the only real stumbling block to their infiltration plans, if that's why those men were landed from the spheres. I wonder where they would have taken us if they had managed to hypnotize us. Yeah, I hate to think. Well, there's one thing arises from this which must not be overlooked. What, Jet? Somebody friendly to the Martians, a conditioned Earthman, maybe one landed here only recently, has been planted in Space HQ. How else could they have known of our intention to leave London tonight? That can be the only answer. And if there is someone there, he must have been there for years. He would never have had access to guarded information otherwise. Well, if that's true, there can be hardly anything the Martians don't know about us. They must have known every detail about the first trip to the moon and of the trip to Mars long before the public ever had an inkling of it. Of course they did, Mitch. That's why Whitaker was planted in the Mars fleet. He probably had orders to wreck the whole project. And here we are getting ready to do it all over again. You still want to go, Jet? Of course we do, sir. The fate of the world may well hang on it. Well, at least there'll be no Whittaker coming along with us this time. Yeah, that's right. Unless one of us happens to be a Whittaker. How about it, Lenny? Oh, turn it up, Mitch. You're giving me the creeps. Nothing further happened to give us cause for alarm. The controller drove us to the airport, which, incidentally, was on the opposite side of London. There we found a super stratocruiser waiting to take us to the other side of the world. We landed in Australia the next day and were taken immediately to the launching ground where a moon ship was waiting to carry us to the Earth's satellite. Of course, we handled the ship ourselves and took along the lunar controller, returning to his post up in the lunar colony as our only passenger. We boarded the great ship, and taking our last look at the Earth from close quarters for goodness knows how long, entered the little crew cabin and strapped ourselves onto our takeoff couches. Firing imminent. Stand by. Okay, Doc. Sure, Jet. Mitch, all I've in my section. How about you, Lemmy? Bang on, Jet. You comfortable, sir? Yes, Jet, thank you. Go ahead, Control. Ready for firing. Firing in ten seconds. Five... Four, three, two, one, contact. Zero plus five seconds. Zero plus ten seconds. Height, five thousand feet. Zero plus twenty seconds. Height, six point four miles. Velocity, four thousand. Zero plus 30 seconds. Height, 27.1 miles. Velocity. That might have cut motor. Okay, Mitch. Yes. Motor cut. Now. Oh, that's better. First class takeoff. 
Everybody okay? Yeah, too okay, right. Yeah. Okay. Very well, you may leave your bunks. Check the gauges and make out the reports. As soon as they're ready, Lemmy, radio them back to control. Yes, sir. Well, so far, so good. They me have to go around shaking hands with everybody before we left, I don't know. Oh, don't you? Well, I do. I wanted to see if any of them was cold. And were they? Well, as a matter of fact, Mitch. Yeah? No. Well, sir, we're on our way. On the first lap, anyhow. How soon after we land on the moon do we take off for Mars? A week from now. From now? But it takes us four days to get to the moon. That leaves only three days to get ready. There's nothing for you to get ready, Jet. It's all been done for you while you've been down on Earth. Well, HQ don't intend us to waste any time, do they? No, Lemmy, they don't. Here you are, Lemmy. The dial reading. Thanks, Mitch. And mine, Lemmy. Get them off straight away, huh? Uh, control will be wanting them. Yes, Doc. Hello, Control. Moonship Luna 174 calling. Have first reports. Are you ready to receive them? Hello, Luna 174. Receiving you loud and clear. Ready for reports. Go ahead, please. Right. Here they come. First, fuel consumption. Tank one. We landed on the moon four days later. The trip was uneventful, and once the ship had touched down, we were taken to our old quarters in the lunar colony, where we were to stay until the time came for us to take off for Mars. From the observation tower set high on the precipitous slopes of the Jura Mountains, we could see across the Bay of Rainbows toward the launching platform where the modified Discovery and the two freighters were standing. Night on the moon is equivalent to 14 days on Earth. But when we touched down, 12 of those days had gone, and the long, cold lunar night would soon give way to the blinding, long, hot lunar day. The sky was velvet black and studded with millions of brilliant, multicolored stars. Above the horizon was the Earth, now almost full. Its light, much brighter than moonlight, enabled us to see quite easily the launching ground and its tall, stately ships, tall as skyscrapers. One of the most impressive sights I know is the lunar sunrise. At one moment, the moonscape is dark and somber, lit only by the reflected light from the Earth. At the next, at the very instant the first rays of direct sunlight appear over the horizon, the moon's surface is transformed into a study of bright light and deep shadow, the shadows being cast by the mountains, hills, and crater rims. As the long day progresses and the sun rises higher in the sky, the shadows grow shorter and the sunlight more brilliant. We knew the sunrise was not a sight to be missed, so a few minutes before the first of the sun's prominences was due to appear from behind the mountains in the west, the four of us gathered in the observing tower to watch the breathtaking sight. How much longer, Jet? Oh, just a, a minute or two, Lemmy. Yeah, there's one of the peaks catching the sunlight now. Always dead on time. Yep. There's another. And another. Now, wait a minute, Doc. There are no peaks that high over there. That's the direction of the bay. But something's catching the light up there. And whatever they are, they're moving. Good grief, they are, too. Excuse me, Doc. Let me get the intercom, yeah, quick. Sure. Hello? 
control room. Morgan here is the controller there. Uh, no, Captain. I think he's gone up to the observatory. Oh, then put me on to there right away. Yes, sir. Observatory. Uh, this is Morgan here. Is the controller there? No, Jed. He's just left. He's on his way to your quarters. Oh, he would be. And I'm in the lookout tower. Still, never mind. Listen carefully. I want you to investigate some flying objects just above the horizon to the southwest. Right, now, wait a minute, Jed. The sun's about to rise, and that means we've got a lot of work to do. Important work. I realize that, but these objects are important, too. Oh, very well, if you'll take full responsibility. I will. Don't you worry. What is it you want us to do? Oh, just above the horizon to the southwest on an approximate line between here and Helicon. Huh? Objects in the sky, half a dozen or more, moving eastwards. Uh, photographing close-up and hurry, they're moving pretty fast. Uh, what height are they? Oh, can't be more than a few thousand feet. They only caught the rays of the sun a few moments ago. Uh, very well, Jed, I'll do my best. Thank you. Well, Doc, where are they now? There they go. And here comes the sun. It's just as though somebody turned on a switch. Hey, those things are increasing their speed. It's as though they realize they're caught in the sunlight and might be seen. They must be flying low for the same reason. They've avoided being illuminated up to now. Yeah, well, they can't avoid it any longer. All they can do now is move over into the night side and quit. And that's just what they are doing. Look, look at them move. They're climbing, too. They're getting away from here fast. Getting smaller all the time. There, they've gone. Will they be back? Or should I know? Come on, let's get back to our quarters. The controller had better hear about this. sun rose, they gathered speed and disappeared over the eastern horizon. At first we thought they were the tips of mountains catching the first light of the sun. Mm. And you told the observatory, Jed? Yes, but whether they were able to get a close look at them depends on how soon they could swing the telescope into position. They were all ready to observe and record the sunrise. Well, if they did see or even photograph anything, they'll let us know. Meanwhile, I have some news for you. Uh-huh. Your takeoff orders arrived less than half an hour ago. When do we leave? In six hours. Why not in six minutes? Here are full instructions as to what you are to do when you get to Mars. Oh, thank you, sir. No point in opening them, Jed. They're coded. Eh? Every message from Earth I have received since our arrival up here has been the same. Well, we can decode them, can't we? Not until you've taken off and are well on your way. Even I don't know what's contained in that envelope. They're not taking any chances, are they? Don't they even trust you? Since the attempt to kidnap you four, all kinds of security have been tightened up considerably. HQ don't trust anybody now. They'd better make up their minds to trust us. How do we decode this lot? You will take a machine with you. You will also use it to code every piece of information you pick up during your trip before you radio it back here. Normal routine calls may be made in plain language. Is that clear? Yes, sir. Good. Now, you will be ready to go out to the ships in four hours from now. Takeoff will be at 1,500 hours universal time. I'll come out of the Discovery with you and see you all safely aboard. Now, any questions? Oh, I don't think so, sir. Oh, except, of course, we'd like to know what the observatory made of those objects, if they made anything of them at all. I'll go up there and find out. Anything else? I don't think so, sir. Very well. Let me open the door for the controller. Yes, Doc. Thank you, Lemmy. I'll see you in three hours, gentlemen. Right out, sir. Right, sir. Well, that's that. Off to Mars in six hours and no embarkation leave. I wonder what that envelope contains. What do they expect us to do? And why do we have to wait until we're underway before we find out? Probably because if we knew before we went, we wouldn't go. Yeah, maybe you got something there, Lemmy. 
Hello, Captain Morgan. Observatory calling. Aye, aye. Hello, Observatory. Morgan here. Is the controller with you? No, he's not. He's on his way to you. Ah, it's just as well. I, I think you better come up here too, Jet. We managed to get a photograph of those flying saucers. You did? What were they? Well, you better come and look for yourself. Well, he most certainly will. Be with you in a few moments. Good. Come along, gentlemen. Let's see what they have to show us. This all you managed to take? I'm afraid, sir, Jet, we'd hardly got the telescope trained on them when they disappeared. Well, there's no mistaking what they are. The asteroids? Yes, sir. The same ones, I would say, that Lemmy and I pursued in the orbital rocket. The spaceship carriers where those spheres came from. Yeah, but what are they doing up here on the moon? No point in landing any spheres here. The only habitable place is this colony where everybody knows everybody else anyway. Well, maybe they don't intend landing any more spheres anywhere. Perhaps they're on their way back to Mars. Yes, if they were, there'd be no need for them to come so close to the moon. Well, so close to the colony, come to that, they must have known they were bound to be seen. Unless they wanted to find out what was going on, or whether we'd left for Mars yet. Always assuming they know we intend to return. Well, I'll lay a thousand to one they do. And that fly pass was to let us know it. They've probably been hanging around here for days. Maybe even followed us up from Earth, I'll bet. If they had, we would have detected them. No, I think they were just passing by. It was pure coincidence that they did it just as the sun was rising and enabled us to catch a glimpse of them. Well, where are they now, then? Waiting out there, all ready to pounce on us the minute we show our noses anywhere near them. I don't know, Lenny. Well, I think we should make sure before we take off. What difference does it make anyway? We'll take off just the same. Eh? This is the most favorable time. By leaving now, we reach the planet in the shortest possible period with the least expenditure of fuel. Yeah, but what if those things are out there and they get violent? That's the strange thing about them, Lenny. They've never used violence of any kind, not in the physical sense. Oh, no, of course they don't. Uh, yes, uh, I... This power of inducing sleep, this hypnosis, is the only weapon they seem to have. Well, that's violent enough for me. And we discovered on Mars that even the hypnosis can be overcome if you're strong-willed enough. Oh, that's all very well for you, Doc. You're immune to this hypnosis business anyway. But me, I only have to imagine I hear that noise and I'm out like a light. Well, sir, I don't think there's much point in staring at this photograph any longer. We've a lot to do before we leave here for the ship. We'd better attend to it. Very well, Jed. So, we're going. Just like that. Yeah, let me... Do you want to stay behind? Who said anything about staying behind? I merely said, so we're going, just like that. Well, I only... What's the matter? Don't you want me to come with you? Do you think you can handle the ship without me? No, of course. Then don't try to get rid of me. When that ship takes off, I'll be in it. And anybody who tries to stop me is liable to get a thick ear. I don't care who he is. Then let's get back to our quarters and not start any more arguments over nothing. Well, I don't want to argue as Mitch started it. Come on, Lemmy, cut the cackle. Whoa. When in 1971 we had made the first trip to Mars, it was with a feeling of adventure. We were about to set foot in the world no man had ever visited before, or so we thought. But of course, when we did finally land, it was to learn that it was already populated by people from Earth, although few of them realized where they were. On this, our second trip, there was no feeling of adventure, only of great apprehension. What lay in store for us during our long trip of nearly 400 million miles out from the sun towards the orbit of the alien planet? What of the Martians themselves? These were beings we had never even seen. Would we meet up with them this time? And if we did, what would they be like? What were our chances of obtaining the information wanted by our superior officers at Space HQ? And if we did manage to obtain it, what were our chances of returning safely to Earth with it? What if the invasion took place while we were on Mars? Those spheres didn't land conditioned Earthmen in different parts of the world for nothing. What was their purpose? And why, after being landed, 
had nothing more been seen or heard of them. Well, these thoughts must have also been in the minds of Jet, Mitch, and Lenny. But in those long, tense moments before takeoff, nobody, of course, mentioned them. In the tiny, cramped cabin, nearly a thousand feet above the moon's surface, we lay strapped into our takeoff couches. Jet called up control to tell them we were ready. All set, control. You may close the main door. Zero minus five minutes. We went through the usual routine. Televiewer, gyro, radar. Ship over to automatic control. Roger. Zero minus four minutes. Whenever the time check was heard, I in turn checked with the clock on the main control panel. Zero minus three minutes. Now remember, gentlemen, during the firing of the first stage, the acceleration rate will produce maximum G. If I go through this couch, I'll sue Space HQ for damages. We're going to be very uncomfortable for a fairly lengthy period, but try not to black out. Blackouts, hypnosis. Are you kidding? Zero minus two minutes. I must admit I felt a little shaky. No ship this size had ever taken off before. Certainly no crew-carrying ship had ever reached the velocity that this one would reach. Zero minus one minute. One minute? Oh, blimey. Now relax. No more talking from now on. Zero minus one minute. What was that? One minute, he said. It should have been 50 seconds. You sure, Doc? It sounded like one minute to me. Zero minus 50 seconds. Air clock's haywire. There's only 45 seconds to go. Have they got the pumps? Ten seconds too soon. What on earth is going on? Position control panels. Be ready to take over on manual control if I give the word. Okay, Hello, Discovery. Control calling. Hello, Control. What's going on? Things seem to be all haywire. The pumps. They're off. We know that. We can hear them. 20 seconds to go. Everything is haywire down here, too. Why? What's the trouble? Our takeoff is... Cancer. You need a toy like this? 15 seconds. Somebody started the pump. The motor's bound to fire. 10 seconds. Turn them off. You hear? Revert to manual control. Turn them off. What's happening down there? Hello. Hello, Control. Hello. They don't answer. Don't get off your bunk, Mitch. You haven't the time. Zero. Mitch, get back, you hear? No, no. Mitch, get back while you've got the time. All right, Jeff. I'm going to switch to manual operation now. Lenny, tell him you're Sternview. Sternview. On. Height, Mitch. 2.4 miles. Jeff, look on the screen. Look what's down there. That was episode four of Journey into Space. Taking part in this recording were Andrew Folds as Jet Morgan, Alfie Bass as Lemmy, Guy Kingsley Pointer as Doc, and Don Sharp as Mitch. Other parts were played by David Jacobs and Alan Tilford. The orchestra was conducted by Van Phillips, who also composed the music.
Journey into Space was written and produced for the BBC by Charles Chilton. <laughs>